Hi, welcome to the Two Nobodies podcast. I'm your host, Rupesh Patel. I just had the most amazing conversation with Joel Prevo, registered counselor out of British Columbia, and we talk about how to manage through chronic illness. What are the personal, emotional, and social impacts to somebody who is suffering from chronic illness? Something that we also talked about was how do you support somebody who's going through chronic illness? It's really not that simple. We often think about just needing to provide hope and create this kind of positive atmosphere to it, but there's so much more to think about. It's a fascinating conversation, and if you're somebody who is either going through chronic illness or is supporting somebody, this is absolutely the podcast episode for you. We also go into her first book, The Conversation Guide, and we talk about adult bullying, something that can be really tricky, something that I've experienced for myself. And she helps navigate through that a bit as well. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please like, subscribe, do all those wonderful things. And we'll see you on the next one. Welcome to the Two Nobodies podcast with my dad. Well, hello, Joelle. Good to see you again. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so good to see you. Yeah, it's been maybe two years. Yeah, that's a great question. I should I, probably know that. I, sh- but I, I probably don't. should have known that too. I should have taken a look. <laughs> but you look great. It's great to see Thanks. you. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So great to see you too. This is, yeah, your podcast was one of my favorite ones um, oh. in my last round of kind of book promo. So, yeah, I'm really happy to be back. Oh, goodness. Now you put pressure on me. Now I got to raise the bar even higher. I don't know why you said that. <laughs> Just be yourself. <laughs> okay, I'll be myself. Um, what's going on with you? You got you came back because you got another book. That's, has it come out yet? Yeah, so it came out in August. So this mm-hmm. one, so the first book was about having difficult conversations and communication and boundary yep. setting and all those kind of, right, the conversation guide was the yep. first one. This one has a bit of a longer title, but I wanted to make it really descriptive. So okay. this is what it looks like. And managing the title person- is, Go ahead. Oh, managing personal, emotional, and social aspects of chronic illness, a okay. workbook. Okay. So, and then the little subtitle is learn how to work with emotions, set goals, communicate boundaries, and more. So there's a little bit about boundary setting in this one too. So yeah, this one came from, again, just same as the first book working with clients in my private Mm. practice as a registered clinical counselor here in bc and seeing that there's a need for some help in these areas and some structure and hopefully through a way that's like really no or low cost and i find that workbooks and things seem to be what my clients at least gravitate towards Mm. because they're a bit more interactive like they seem if they're learning cbt or dbt skills Mm they seem to be a lot more drawn to workbooks where they Mm. can like, yeah, again, interact with the material more on like a personal level, right. And relate it to their life. So that was kind of how this idea was born. I work with one of my specialties is working with people with chronic illness and, Mm. and supporting those emotional, social, personal aspects of that. And so, yeah, I have kind of come up with a whole bunch of different like concepts and exercises and activities and little homework pieces, if the word homework isn't too triggering for you. <laughs> um, and so I just thought, you know, it would be great if I just compiled these all, put them in a workbook, sold it for less than 30 bucks. And that way, a lot of people with chronic illness can hopefully get basically really low cost therapy yeah. uh, and not have to spend the time and money that they 
a lot of them unfortunately don't have because a lot of people are in disability or can't work very yep. much or often. So, yeah. So that was kind of how this one was was born. I, I love that idea. I love the idea of a workbook. Even the first uh, book, like there's just easy tactical uh, tactical ways of like, or sorry, tangible ways, I should say, of how to handle a conversation. And I just know more for myself, like whenever I go into a counseling session, um, and this is not a knock to my counselor, she's watching, but it's like, it's you, you have this amazing conversation with this person and you're like, okay, yeah, I got to focus on these things. And you might write some things down, but the, the, sometimes the next steps aren't always like fully clear. Like you feel really engaged in that moment, but then there's also this like, you have this high coming out of these sessions. And then as that sort of the energy draws down, it's like, as it's drawing down, it's drawing down everything you, you just talked about, like you forget about everything. So I love the idea of a workbook. Like so it sounds like it's resonating with people. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been great. Like I've even kind of told my current clients about it. Some of the stuff I've done in session with them before. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really great. And also I've been trying to again not to self-promote too much if people think it's going to be valuable buy it if not don't mm. obviously um yeah but i think it can be really helpful for people who have injuries um whose lives have changed because of that who have disabilities mm. um all sorts of things right and even just anyone with a big life change like i recommended it to uh, a friend of mine who recently had a baby and was going through a lot of different emotional, social, and personal changes due to that. And that's exactly the same thing that people with chronic illness experience yeah. when they get a flare up of symptoms or, you know, something happens out of their control, their whole life changes. How do we deal with these changes? What's my identity now? What are my values now? How do I mm. deal with the emotional part of like, if I feel angry or guilty, right? And so, yeah, I think the book, it's again, says on the title chronic illness, but really is for anyone experiencing just like kind of big, big life changes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the process, because you just said, like, with your first book, sure. you know, you you're kind of seeing some of these gaps that you're working with in your clients, and you're learning from them. And you're like, okay, I think there's a value add I have here. Similar, mm -hmm. it sounds like with this with the second one, um, is this like a model for you now? Like you're, you're, <laughs> there's going to be a third and a fourth book. Like how, how are you kind of assessing like, okay, I kind of need to write about this, you know? Yeah. So funny, you should mention a third book because there is a third book that I just haven't had time or money right now to get to the graphic designer and the last bits of editing, but it's gone through the first bits of editing already, okay. the high level stuff. And it's a workbook about boundary setting. And it's mm. a lot of the information from the conversation guide. The boundary setting chapter is basically why I wrote that book, but I had to write an entire book kind of to like build the skills around that so that at the end you can actually get to the boundary setting. So I decided to make it a bit more concise and again, a bit more interactive. So I have the boundary setting workbook, which hopefully will be out sometime within this calendar year of 2024. Uh, so there's that one. So uh yeah but as far as the process i think yeah similar to the first one where i just kind of kept anytime i feel like i'm constantly repeating myself to clients i feel like you know what i don't know if this is a good use of their time and money if mm -hmm. i could make this a cheaper resource or a free resource that they can spend time on their own and then come to me 
right? Yeah. Counseling is expensive. It's time mm-hmm. consuming. And sometimes we want to like really go slow with material, but you know, I've got hour long sessions. I feel like I really want to give my clients a lot of information during those sessions. And that can be really overwhelming. So starting with a book like this, again, I think can just be so valuable in that you can really like take your time with it. Again, it's not super expensive, hopefully. And yeah, it's, it has kind of all those, I call them more like base skills before we really get into the kind of like the deeper stuff. Because I even have a bit of a note about that in this book at the beginning. Trauma plays a huge role. And in a lot of chronic illness, right? And we're seeing more and more kind of research. And I think more and more people are kind of believing, I guess, the mind-body connection. Um, and so I do write a bit about that in in the intro, just saying that it's not something I address in this workbook because mm-hmm. that part is very individual. And that part, I really recommend people seeing their own individual trauma counselors for that's one of my other specialties, chronic illness, trauma, and anxiety. Mm. So with trauma, I use a lot of EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So I find that very helpful. So normally my kind of go-to like loose protocol, of course, tailored to the individual, if they come to me with chronic illness is like every single thing that's in this book, then whatever EMDR they need, maybe some other techniques as well, depending on it, communication, things like that. So yeah, I was like, well, why not put this all in a book and hopefully kind of, yeah, get to help some people that maybe can't come to counseling for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to get into the book a little bit more, but before I get into that, I love that you're going to be focusing on boundary setting in the next one. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really hard thing for people. I know for myself, yeah. it's something that I'm trying to really actively work on, especially at work, but even in your personal life, like it's, it's a, it's a very big challenge. Um, do, have you drawn any inspirations from anywhere? Cause when I, when I was looking through the boundary setting, uh, section in your conversation guide, which for people, if people haven't seen it, it's right here. I need to get you to sign one of my co- one of the copies. Um, yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, like I, I, um, I love the way you frame some of it. Is like, here's what I'm okay with, and here's what I'm not okay with. And mm-hmm. where I also learned that from is I took Brene Brown's Dare to Lead course, and she really mm-hmm. talks and frames it that way too. And I just love it. I think it's a great way of framing boundaries because. I know for myself, like there's definitely, I think everyone has to some extent, some of these kind of people pleasing, um, aspects of it. For me, it's a really strong part of it is, and is people pleasing. And so I'm always hesitant to, I always feel like I'm going to be harsh with it, or I, I'm going to, I'm going to offend somebody if I kind of save my boundaries, but saying it in a way, like, here's what I'm okay with. And here's what I'm not. It makes, it makes that a much easier transition and you can really, it also lands well with people. So anyways, I appreciate that about reading yeah. it in your conversation guide, but maybe tell folks a little bit more about like why a big workbook on the boundary setting stuff and why it's so important, I guess. But Yeah, so great question. And I think you're not alone in the struggle with boundaries. I think there's something that people, first of all, don't fully understand what they even are. And then if they can grasp that, which is complicated in itself, how to do it. And then if they can do that, how to figure out the emotional side of of all of that. So I definitely, in doing the conversation guide, did a lot of research on the boundary setting books that were already out there. And I think there's some really great stuff. However, 
I have a really specific counseling style, I think, given my background as both a scientist and a science teacher. Mm. And so I'm all about like pragmatic, <laughs> tangible, stepwise protocols. Mm-hmm. I'm super organized. Like that's how my mind works. And so some of the boundary approaches, I feel like we're leaving the people who ended up coming to me a little wanting. They were like, you know, and I, I remember seeing on a like, oh, if someone on a podcast, like, if you feel guilty about setting a boundary, just go back to your intention. To me, that's not really giving much to the client, mm. right? So in even in my chronic illness book, I talk about guilt and I talk about emotions a lot as, as tools. And how can we use them as tools to either learn something about ourselves or motivate us to do something? How can we use their purpose to deconstruct them in a really, again, stepwise way? If I'm feeling guilty, why is that? Okay, I can figure out why, then I can work with what is that guilt trying to get me to achieve? Mm -hmm. And so like, kind of that's a bit more my style. And I found that Mm. that type of style of counseling, there's not a lot of that out there. And everyone's different. That's why it's so great. There are so many different counselors out there, because Mm -hmm. I think everyone kind of needs something different. Our minds all work very differently. And so yeah, this kind of a bit more like, you know, approach to to emotions and boundary setting. That's again, a lot more like kind of almost scientific. Um, Yeah, there seemed to be a bit of a niche uh, open there. So for me, yeah, with boundaries, there's a lot of reasons why they're difficult. Um, Again, there's and I go through that all in the conversation guide. And I'll go through it again in the boundary setting workbook. Mm But I mean, boundaries change. And people don't fully understand them. A lot of the time we're trying to set unrealistic boundaries. We haven't mm-hmm. really fully articulated them to ourselves and been like, wait, hang on, what pieces of this, you know, are fair and realistic and achievable and what aren't. Um, but yeah, boundaries, I mean, they're great. They kind of have a bad name. Boundaries. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they're sounds walls so harsh. that keep people yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. But they're actually kind of more like expectations. Mm-hmm. And if we have good boundaries, we have predictability in relationships which creates trust and Mm -hmm. creates safety and so if we are kind of all well communicated set of expectations then we feel a lot better in our relationships with boundaries actually and so yeah do you do you have a sense of whether it's more difficult for people to set boundaries in their own personal relationships versus like for example at the workplace Um, I think it depends. Yeah, I've seen people struggle with both for sure. I think it depends on the person and kind of how they're interpreting those boundaries and the environment, Mm. like some work environments are hopefully quite professional. And so Mm. like the average professional boundary is maybe easy to set there, but maybe there's some toxic workplace culture. I've definitely experienced that where Mm -hmm. setting boundaries was near impossible, right? And so I think the same goes for people's like family and romantic relationships and friendships as well, where you set boundaries and is there a culture in this relationship Mm -hmm. that allows for that? Or do you get pushback? Like, again, I unfortunately had a situation quite recently where I set boundaries with a friend and it really didn't go well, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and it wasn't received very well by that person. And so I think it, yeah, it can be, it can be easy or difficult. 
depending on kind of, I think more just the culture of, and I talk about that kind of like these mini cultures and like relationships and yeah. Does the, does the relationship you have with that person impact how that boundary is received? Cause I would imagine at the workplace, like sometimes not everyone has, you know, really close relationships with their colleagues. Sometimes they do, but I would imagine that if, in having that conversation about boundaries, you can at least fall back onto the relationship that you built, right? And if mm-hmm. it's like with a, in a personal side, you'd hope that that relationship is there for you to fall back on if things go to shit, right? Yeah. Um, any any sense of that? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, in my case, I mean, yeah, we're able to get past it and kind of work through. And yeah, it's like you have respect for the relationship you have. And so, I mean, again, life is all about kind of managing relationships and there's never going to be two people who completely agree on absolutely everything so it's just do we kind of again have the the desire and the skills and the tools to kind of work through things yeah i'm excited for that that book you have to come back for that yeah thanks yeah yeah i um yeah again i kind of like through all three or what will be three books that i'll have out you'll see you know if people read all three a few of the repeating, I guess, themes or even chunks as far as, again, like I have boundary setting stuff in my chronic illness workbook. Um, So, and I also go through a lot of CBT skills. I Mm. really like those. I, again, find those really great tools for clients to gain insight and kind of be their own therapist as to like, why did I react that way? That's really interesting. Right. And then we kind of build on those CBT themes. So and a few things, if you've read the conversation guide that you'll, you'll uh, recognize in this one as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, With chronic illness, what were things that you were noticing in your patients where you're like, okay, people are really having a trouble with having trouble with this or with that. And so this is now really prompting me to write this book. Like what, what were those things that really stood out for you? So I think kind of, again, going back to this title, like, I kind of saw these three different groups of Mm -hmm. issues, there was these personal ones, where it's like, how does this, how does my chronic illness fit into my identity now? My identity has changed. And maybe my chronic illness has shifted parts of my identity, like the part that was a work piece. And I identify with like, for me, I identify with being a counselor, hugely. Mm -hmm. Right. I've had other jobs too where I identified very big part of myself with them. And then I didn't work there anymore. Mm. And then, ooh, that doesn't feel so good. Who am I now? And so you also kind of see people maybe really resisting bringing in any part of their chronic illness into their identity. And you can even see that kind of through some behavioral reactions like not taking medication or not doing the physio exercises or not. You know, it's like, it's like, well, I don't want to be a sick person. I don't want to kind of validate that this is, there's something wrong. This is happening to me. Yeah. 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 And so, so even with taking medication, like mental health medication, I talk to a lot of clients about that. So again, on a personal level, there's a lot of changes that happen. So I have um, exercises about identity values, um, things like that uh, in that section then the emotional management piece, definitely there's a lot of grief that comes mm-hmm. up in chronic illness. You're constantly grieving 
parts of yourself, your old life, what you used to do. Now you Mm -hmm. have limitations, whether they're temporary or not. And again, same with any big life change, as I mentioned, like an injury or having a baby or right. Like it comes with that. So with the emotional uh, section of this book, I talk about grief and loneliness. And I go into also some of the big ones that uh, I often find myself deconstructing with clients, which is like anger and anxiety and guilt. And I go into those ones really specifically and talk about what's the purpose of this emotion? Like, Why are we even having it? And then, okay, now how can we work with that purpose to help manage this emotion rather than like anxiety? I see so mismanaged all the time. I love working with anxiety though, because it's like once we can teach people to stop trying to push it away and ignore it, Mm -hmm. it's so important for our survival. It's going to push back. It's going to, it's not going to leave you alone until you learn how to work with it and not against it. Yeah. So and then the last piece is the other theme I kind of saw was the social bits mm-hmm. and people, your social life takes a big hit. A lot of people get quite depressed um, because a lot of these things are invisible and you have to spend the effort trying to explain to people this huge thing you're going through that only you are experiencing because yeah. it's your body. And that in itself is so isolating. And so it's, how can we communicate that using as little energy as possible? So I have some exercises for that and how to set boundaries when our life is so up the air, up in the air, boundaries and expectations, as I mentioned, are kind of go hand in hand. So people, my, my life though, maybe with chronic illness is really unpredictable. And so Mm. I can't give that consistency to my friends and family. If I always show up to events or I'm always on time, or I'm so it's like, how can I work with building trust in my relationships when I'm not consistent? Right. And wow. so, and then there's even a little bit about uh, prepping for doctor's appointments, because that's the thing I, I, I didn't think I would, but I end up helping clients with a lot because they're like, okay, I got 15 minutes with my neurologist. They, they're going to give me these results. I'm going to be like, just overwhelmed. Right. And there's mm-hmm. a huge power dynamic in that room. And it's just like, you know, what do I say? How do I say it? What do I ask? A lot of people seem to leave doctor's appointments just kind of in a daze and are like, mm-hmm. what just happened? Oh my gosh, I forgot to ask this or tell them about that. So it's really just thinking about how to prep for that. So again, I just, yeah, noticed a lot of these kind of three big themes and many things underneath them that I was like, yeah, it kind of just wrote itself, honestly, yeah. after the the years I've been working with people with chronic illness. And I think I just really have a passion for it since I have chronic illness too. So mm. I've had ulcerative colitis since, well, diagnosed since my early 20s. So mm. long time now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're raising awareness to things that I think that if and those who are not suffering from chronic illness, I don't know if they would um, like they would understand that people are dealing with those three factors, right? And the intro mm-hmm. and the nuances of those three factors. So that's one part of it. But the second part of it is I would imagine also some of your clients probably don't really realize that some of these things are going on too until they're either yeah. facing it or they have to be pretty aware of these pieces, right? Like something like grief, for instance. I think grief is so... Um, and I say this from now having gone through like the grief recovery method after like my dad 
died, right? And understanding that there was like so many little things in your life that change and you actually are grieving over, but you don't really realize it, right? Like, you know, I remember my counselor saying at the time, like, um, after I had finished my, one of my degrees and like, I just didn't know, and, and now entering the workplace, right? You're like, you could be partially grieving over your former student life and like this comfort place that you were in. And now you're entering the the real world and, and working and like, that's a big change. And you're like losing, like, we don't realize that all those things start to add up. Right. Yeah. So I imagine something like grief with somebody who's, who's suffering from a chronic illness, um, they're going through a lot of little things. Like you said, there's changes maybe in their physical body or how their or relationships being lost or whatever it might be. So you're like, you're really raising awareness on these little things. Um, yeah. I've even seen people grieving parts of their diet. Like I had a client being like, I'm mm. never going to be able to eat the pizza that I love again. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's big. Yeah. That's big. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's, and the social aspects too are really tough in that I was just talking to a client about this last week that you really see it brings out parts of relationships that can be really amazing but also ones that can be really disappointing right tell me more about that so things like I can I'll use myself as an example um so I've had a couple big like illness flares and you can see kind of what friends maybe are like oh I'll come over to you without getting into too much detail having ulcerative colitis there's times in your life where you kind of have to be close to a bathroom you can't really go out and do things that aren't near a bathroom yeah um so it's hey if you want to hang out come to my house otherwise I can't hang out with you Mm -hmm. and so that puts a a whole new set of expectations on relationships. Mm. Who's okay with working with that and who isn't, right? And I also, I think I mentioned in the podcast last time, I had a really serious injury. I was in a car accident and fractured my neck. And, you know, it was really a a friend of mine that, you know, I, I was fairly close with, but was every day messaging me, helping me find concussion resources, so supportive, amazing. And then someone that was a really good long-term friend, I didn't hear from for weeks and, you know, Mm. didn't check up on me and things. And, you know, it's, it's, of course, people have their own lives and it's fair that they have their own boundaries around relationships too. But it it does just cause that kind of like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Like, what am I going to do with this information and can cause a lot of emotions of feeling and like very cared for or like kind of abandoned. And I think that Mm. happens a lot with people where they're kind of maybe surprised by some of the reactions that people can have whatever reaction they want to have, right? They've got their life and their reasons, but the person on the receiving end, the person with the illness or injury is thinking like, okay, like now I got to kind of process all this stuff in addition (laughs) to, right? Like I was, like I said, pleasantly surprised, but also disappointed surprised. And so I had a lot going on there and I had a fractured neck. So <laughs> that's a lot, was, right? It is a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's, yeah, great to hopefully be filling this niche. Cause like you said, it's, it's about bringing awareness too. And I encourage people like the fam friends and family members of those mm-hmm. with chronic illness or disability to read this book as well. And I, I was part of a, a support group out of St. Paul's hospital here in Vancouver 
um, for people with inflammatory bowel disease. And a colleague mm-hmm. and I kind of ran that group. And one of the most surprising great things to me about running that group was seeing a couple people brought their spouses mm. and their spouses, I think, got the most out of it. They yeah. were like, oh, other people are experiencing this, not just my partner and hearing other people's stories. And they really got, I think, a way better sense of insight into the life of their partner through hearing other people's stories and struggles. And that was just amazing. And so, yeah, it was kind of interesting when I gave this to my my developmental editor and book coach, she was like, I can't find another, I think there is one kind of workbook similar, but there's not a lot on this topic of the non-physical management. There's a lot of great books on people's personal stories of chronic illness. Um, And I think you can get out some of these types of things, but having them addressed directly and then in a workbook form that hopefully relates them a bit more to other people. I was shocked that no, no one's done it yet. So here it is. That's, yeah, no, that's <laughs> fantastic. You're filling that niche. You you brought up this interesting point about um, uh, this kind of support group, and I wonder, like, as as much as you're doing this work with like the individual and how to manage through these kind of three factors, it almost makes sense. Like, and sort of a ne- next evolutionary step is if there's a way to, you know, have seminars or bring you know groups of people together around that individual who's suffering from that. Cr- chronic illness so that it can kind of almost workshop it together to some extent, right? Um, because to have it yeah. just reside with that person, to have to manage through the personal, personal, emotional, social aspects of it, um, that's, wow. a, that's a challenge, right? I would think. And so you kind of need everybody else on board. So if there's a way to, I don't know how you do that, but like if there's a way to kind of get people to also be a part of the process, that would probably be ideal, I would think, hey? Yeah, it would be. And I think that not only goes for people with chronic illness, hopefully working on these personal, social, emotional aspects, but anyone. Like I see clients yeah. in, in therapy being like, well, I'm learning all these boundary setting and communication <laughs> skills, or I'm learning all yeah. these whatever, like emotional yeah. vulnerability and communication. But my my coworkers aren't, my family sure. isn't, my partner yeah. isn't. So yeah. that can be really frustrating for people to feel like, I'm doing all this work on myself, but now I feel like I'm doing more of the heavy lifting in my relationships. And that's often, I think, definitely like Mm -hmm. the case with people with chronic illness, where I mentioned it in the book, like we're kind of forced to learn how to set boundaries and communicate things and, you know, be reflective and learn how to grieve. Like you don't have a choice. It's like being pushed off a diving board versus getting to decide to jump off. Like you end up in the water either way, but you know, it's kind of, you're forced into it. And sometimes that can be really great, you know, where it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how strong and resilient I am through Mm -hmm. until I went through, I hear that with childbirth with women. They're like, I never knew I would be able to endure something that painful and that intense, but wow, I'm amazing, you know? And so there's some really great things I actually have in the back of the book um, here, two different sections. One is if you need some validation, I go into just how much chronic illness sucks and it's okay if you just want to be like, I'm not having a good day. I'm angry and Mm. you know, I don't deserve this. This is unfair. But then there's also a a section if you need optimism, you know, and through chronic illness, you most likely learn to be more accepting of what life throws at you to be Mm. flexible, to know yourself, to communicate. And so 
you know, there's again, kind of just showing that there's pros and cons to, to all of this stuff. Yeah. And we can work with both. Yeah. And needing to be, like you said, needing to be really true with yourself, right? Like it's okay to, to feel pessimistic, but at the same time, mm-hmm. there are times where you need to be optimistic and how you actually do that is there's probably skills to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's like validating the hard stuff mm-hmm. and working with that. We don't want to ignore how, again, difficult it can be, isolating, depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also want to balance that with like some optimism, right? Yeah. So I'm often talking to my clients about having that balanced attitude when it comes to like, I have so much work I want to do on myself, but it's like, you've also already come really far, mm-hmm. right? It's like, gratitude oh i want to achieve all these things or get all these things but i already have a lot too yes and we just it's not we want to ignore one or the other but we want to just make sure that we're seeing both otherwise we'll start getting blinders on and we'll only be having that kind of you know negative or scarcity type of um mentality i did want to say too on the on the groups thing not so much what you were talking about as far as like, I think it would be really cool if like families did this book Mm -hmm. together or like couples or, you know, but uh, I did run a free group um, that like a group therapy session said it was five sessions um, for people with chronic illness. And it was all the content of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ran that through an amazing nonprofit that I'm also on the board of called moving (laughs) forward family services. And they're based out of, the lower mainland if you're in bc and you want no or low cost counseling highly recommend um reaching Mm. out to them they have amazing individual therapy group therapies all sorts of things i'll probably be running another one in the summer but what i've kind of again always trying to think of ways to help people and reach the populations that i want to reach and in this case people with chronic illness well having a group was great having it be free was great but it's hard for people to come at a structured time because they don't know when they're going to be feeling good. Right. Can't really schedule that. So what I'm going to be doing within the next few months is putting all of this content also for free on YouTube. Wow. And so I'm going to be recording again, a bunch of videos. That's just going to be me going over again, all the same content, all the same Mm -hmm. stuff, but this time it'll be free for people. And so they can get the workbook if they want to work along with it. But and this is going to, again, just save people hopefully so much time and money. If they want to see me as a therapist, they can watch all the videos first and then come mm-hmm. to me, right? Or if they want to just watch the videos, that's okay too. Like there's such a need for counseling. I think just giving out whatever we can for free is going to hopefully be really helpful and get people at least a little bit of a, a head start on some of this stuff. And then, and then when they're coming to see you, it's more of like that fine tuning, right? Because they would have probably yeah. hopefully understood yeah. some of the big concepts and things that you're trying to educate them on. No, I think that that's amazing, Joelle, that you're they're willing to, to do okay. that. Um, on chronic illness, I should have asked this from the beginning, but how do you define chronic illness? Ooh, so... For me, I think probably everyone has a, a different definition of that. I think something that's either a lifelong or a really long term uh, mm-hmm. type of health issue that maybe ebbs and flows too doesn't have mm-hmm. to be consistent. Like, thankfully, my ulcerative colitis has been in remission for quite some time. Oh, that's great, um, yeah. But 
yeah, other people aren't so lucky. And so, yeah, I kind of go into it a little bit in the intro of the book. I kind of kept it a little vague on purpose, though, because as I Mm -hmm. mentioned, I think the concepts of this book aren't specific to Mm -hmm. any type of illness. Um, They can even be brought into, yeah, like injury and things like that. So, yeah, I think chronic illness, like autoimmune diseases are pretty, you know, fall into that category. I have see clients through BC cancer um, as well. So again, whether their cancer's in remission um, or not, like they still had it. So whether that's a chronic illness or not, you know, so yeah, I don't know about kind of splitting hairs on the definition, but hopefully that kind of gives just like yeah. vague, but keeping it vague on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fair. Um, your book is focused on managing through chronic illness, but have you had to support folks who have kind of you know, they're now illness free and like, there's like the next part of it of like, how do you, how do you kind of support them yeah. in that way? Cause I imagine That's like, a... I imagine like, it's like, I don't know if this is, this might not be the greatest analogy, but it's like someone who has just come out of prison and all they know is like, is life in prison. And it's like, they don't know what, how to function in society or whatever. I imagine yeah. like if you've de- been dealing with a long chronic illness and now it's like, wow, I don't have to deal with this anymore that's that can be maybe an unsettling feeling i agree i think like going into remission can definitely be a lifestyle change where going back to those values and identity exercises is like now my identity has changed again and mm-hmm. now i have a new set of stressors in my life now i'm back to work and have to deal with those stressors right yeah, yeah. but i think also I want to kind of maybe deconstruct a little that viewpoint though of like this is something that i see a lot of my clients and even myself with chronic illness like people who don't have chronic illness kind of really well-intentioned want it to have a finish line oh you're you're not sick anymore you don't i'll always have ulcerative colitis i don't have symptoms today thankfully but i've not overcome this illness i will have it forever and it impacts mm. everything in my life, the way I eat, where I travel, all sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. Managing my stress, like all of that. And so it's something that we kind of, especially in the book and like, you know, this is part of the personal side of it, of like, even if we're not experiencing symptoms, these chronic illnesses are with us forever. Again, right. maybe cancer is a little different where like people are cancer free, but mm. <clears throat> things like autoimmune diseases, they don't ever go away. And mm-hmm. I think there's often this kind of kind of very well-intentioned, but like hopeful expectation of friends and family members of like, oh, you're going to get through it. You're going to get better. Oh, when you're feeling better. Like, I have clients with like chronic fatigue or ME and they're like, there's no finish line here. Like, this is my life now. And so I'm not going to get better than where I'm at right now. Like this is never going to not be a part of who I am. Mm. And you can see how for the person with the chronic illness, that's not only hard for them to accept, but now also trying to teach other people how to be and accepting manage their of expectations that. and all that. Yeah. yeah. And the family and friends need to grieve this too, because yeah. their whole relationship with this person, how they see this person, like, you know, the box that they had put that person in has now changed. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. There's all these little nuances to like 
having chronic illness that that come up so yeah i think that's that's one that like you say it's things ebb and flow and there's flares and remissions definitely and i think you're right like there's kind of a bit of like a like positive grief if you would want to call that of like oh mm-hmm. like i'm feeling better but now again with change comes okay i'm letting go of this and i'm bringing in other things that are both good and difficult right. um yeah that's a those are really good points um yeah because i i would so the point about like you know family members or the the social supports of someone who's going through chronic illness of them you know the intention is good they want it they want but they they're focused on the finish line that's really interesting because i would imagine from a family member side of things they're just trying to they're trying to maintain hope perhaps yeah. or they're trying yeah. to maintain sort of this positive attitude towards it right but in yeah. some ways it's like that's interesting that it could destruct is not maybe not the right word but like as you said it, it may not it just may not be helpful it definitely and yeah like i say it's always coming from the purest intentions they yes. don't want to see the person with chronic illness suffering they want yeah. them what are you going to do to get better why aren't you doing these things get better get better you know but it, then the person with the chronic illness now again not only is the chronic illness but feels like they're constantly disappointing their mm. friends and family or that in them accepting their illness they're letting their friends and family down by being like there is no finish line and i'm starting to be okay with that and just managing what i can yeah. where the family's like no you got to do this and this and this and they're again, still over it's here just, yeah yeah they're not in the body and they're again so well intentioned but you can see how that just really yeah. creates a lot more isolation for the person experiencing the illness and so so so, so what do you yeah. tell like how do you coach those people like family members through that how do you what's the best way for them to to shift their mindset because that that would be hard for them too yeah so. it is yeah it <laughs> is so i think this one really comes down to like a sense of control you know there's going to be a lot more to it and every relationship is different so would tailor things but i think on a super general level of trying to work on acceptance in that person what can you control what can't you control what about coaching them through grieving coaching them through what values do you still have that align with this person Mm -hmm. yeah what's changed and what do you have to let go of and what do you need to accept what can you hold on to hope that might change and what's still there right? There's going to be things, I think sometimes, again, we focus on like, oh, we lost this part of our relationship and I want to get it back. And it's like, yeah. but you still have all this other stuff. <laughs> and so yeah. trying to focus on that of like, oh, well, we can watch our favorite movies together. We can do this or, you know, it's, yeah. So I think it's, again, having that balanced attitude of like, grieve the stuff you lost, of course, and be disappointed and sad about that. It is sad and disappointing but also be happy that you still have this person in your life and you're still able to mm-hmm. interact with them on some way and and maybe even find new cool fun ways to do yeah. that too. Yeah, it's rethinking what support really should look like, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, support isn't just making someone feel better physically because again with chronic illness, it's in the title. It's going to be around <laughs> for mm. a long time. Yeah. So, it's, you know, yeah having again it's just all about balance like of course supporting them and maybe like oh i saw this cool article on like 
whatever new medication or whatever new alternative medic medicine kind of that might be helpful, but not being like, oh, hey, you have to try this. Why haven't you tried this? Don't you yeah. want to get better? Like, uh, yeah. This one's really sitting with me from a different perspective. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but like now having uh, two girls and I just think like if they ever were to, you know, experience a chronic illness, like as a Mm -hmm. dad and as a parent, like all I ever would want to do is to keep their spirits up and to keep them hopeful Mm -hmm. and to, um, but like, you've just got me thinking, but I don't even know in that case, uh, how would I would, what support would really need to look like in that case. Cause like kids process things obviously way different than adults would. Right. And, um, that'd be my guess, but I don't know. Do you have any thoughts as far as like for those parents who are trying to support kids who are going through chronic illness? Yeah. So, and I mean, I kind of see this in even my, my clients who are adult children to parents and maybe even live at home still either due to their chronic illness or maybe they're kind of still like early twenties. But uh, yeah, I think as far as that, like parent child relationship, it's so like, caregiver right and so I think the age of the child definitely plays a part because it's like well you might be the one making the decision of like you're trying this medicine you're doing this thing you're not doing this other thing and so there is a lot that the parent can control right when their kids are young versus once your kids grow up that is hard for parents and maybe you've experienced with your own parents you know that um that it's like they still see you as that little kid sometimes that they maybe want to take care of or like control. (laughs) Um, So it's like, why aren't you doing this or do this? But it's like, well, I get to make my own decisions now. And so I think that's a big piece of that type of relationship dynamic. That's super interesting. But I think, you know, my parents have done a great job um, supporting me through my chronic illness. I think by Mm -hmm. like really Again, I was diagnosed, though, more in my early 20s. So I was like Mm. a young adult, but Mm -hmm. still able to kind of um, choose my own path in how I went and approached my healing and management. And, you know, it worked with our good mutual friend, Dr. Cooper, Mm -hmm. um, the naturopath. And that was super helpful. But I think also just they were just on board with whatever I wanted to do. Like I really changed my diet to a really strict diet that immensely helped my health. And I think is Mm -hmm. part of why I've been in remission for so long, but I see people who parents are not on board with things like, like lifestyle changes and it causes a lot of friction in the relationships. Like I go over and they forget, like I clients tell me like, Oh, I go to my parents for Thanksgiving and they forget I can't eat dairy. I can't eat gluten. Mm. I can't. And they're now they're there and it's like, they feel rude or they're like, why aren't you eating this? Or, mm. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I forgot. It just creates a whole yeah, kind of thing that maybe is unnecessary. And so I think just like letting the person choose how they want to approach their illness and knowing that they're doing the best they can. Sometimes it might not see from the outside, like it's enough or that they're trying hard enough, but they might just be really tired and exhausted from trying Mm. a bunch of things that didn't work. And Mm. now they just want to not do anything for a while before they try this other new thing idea that you had. And so I think just like that kind of unconditional support. And also though, that inner work of being like, what emotions does that stir up in me when I see them 
like, oh, I saw this really amazing article on like all these things, like, right. you know, carrot juice diet. Why don't you try that? It's like, oh, oh like juice and carrots, every whatever. I don't know. This is maybe a silly <laughs> example, but it's yeah, like, yeah. and they're like, but don't you want to get better? Don't, why wouldn't you have tried absolutely mm. everything? And some people can't, I think, understand that. So yeah, letting them support as far as with the kids, I don't really work too much with kids. I don't have kids of my own, so I can't really say too much, I think, on on that part, other than, you know, giving them as much autonomy as you would feel comfortable with, depending on their age and the situation mm -hmm. and and supporting that. Like, hey, do you want to try this or are you too tired right now? Or like, mm -hmm. you know, we tried this other thing. Do we want to take a break and just kind of be for a minute and not mm -hmm. have this, you know, take over their life and again their identity in such a major way man you've really got me thinking about a bunch of things um <laughs> this has been really fantastic uh oh, i think yay. about uh i think about with my my mom for instance she um i don't know i guess you maybe call i don't even know if, it's, if we call it chronicles but she's always been dealing with like this like whole body muscular pain people think it's like fibromyalgia we don't really know like that fibro is kind of one of those things where it's no one really has a clear pain. answer on right yeah um but uh i always like you know she's gone to so many people to sort of help manage this and and to build capacity in her body in different ways even from the mental and emotional side of things um, but when she's not doing things, sometimes I'll say to her, don't you want to get better? Like, don't you like, why wouldn't you be putting in the work? Right. Like, don't you want to get better? And yeah. like, she's tried so many things and it's yeah. like, I'm, I, to some extent get frustrated because, um, you know, it's like, uh, I'm trying to find all these ways to help her. And I feel like she's not responding to it or whatever. And you really got me thinking like, maybe she's just fucking tired. Right. Like, yeah. Maybe she's just like, just um, needs a minute and maybe yeah. she just needs to process this because she's tried so many different things and, you know, yeah. she's turning 70 next year, like just chill out on her a little bit. And I like, I don't know, I don't know if that's the right answer or not, but you definitely got me my wheels spinning on that one because yeah. to some extent, like I, not intentional, but it's almost like she could be feeling like uh, she's disappointing me right? That, mm -hmm. I, that she's not putting in that work or, or that I think that she's not putting in that work and she could almost feel it as like shame. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas that's not my intention is to shame her for sure. Not, but of like course, it could be yeah. coming off in that way. Um, uh, so damn, Joel, you got me thinking. That. Yeah. Well, Hey, welcome to therapy <laughs> or yeah. talking to a therapist, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy that it's provided some insight. And I think, and there's, not enough of of that yet when it comes to chronic illness because i think i mean chronic illnesses are just so on the rise right now yeah. and it's something that i think a lot of us just are really new to even the people experiencing them um so yeah definitely like you said your intentions are pure and it makes sense why wouldn't you want your mom to feel better right yeah. but it's like is that making it on her receiving end be like is this all people see me as is someone who you know and and i just want to be someone outside of my pain for a while mm. and you know so yeah i think that's that's great maybe we'll have a follow-up on on how <laughs> this talk has, has maybe changed that relationship yeah. dynamic um yeah. yeah yeah no thanks for that uh you talked a little bit about uh loneliness um and i want to dive into that a little bit more i mean it's it's come up people are becoming way more aware now of, of how impactful loneliness has been is, is on 
everyone's health and relationships and all kinds of things. Um, there's a recent uh, um, headline that came out about how, uh, I forget, it was a really low percentage of men in the States um, have a significant friend and feel lonely um, compared mm-hmm. to women, which is, I think it was like 45% of women feel like they have a friend and and uh, don't experience loneliness um, or, sorry, experience, anyways, it was a really, it's a, it was a higher number for men than it was for women. Um, but anyways, it's coming up more and more. But when you talk about on on the topic of chronic illness and loneliness, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, and so I think there's like a few different pieces of it. There's like loneliness, isolation, all sorts of kind of being just alone. And I think those yeah. all can have different definitions that maybe I won't get super into, but kind of glom them all as one concept for now of just, as I kind of mentioned before, there's like, the isolation of just being like no one else is experiencing what I'm experiencing and Mm -hmm. I don't even have the energy to explain. And even if, even if I do explain it perfectly, no one still is going through that. Right. And so that in itself is really isolating, but there are some really great ways to um, connect with people. And I think like the loneliness aspect, as I mentioned, like, a lot of like with my chronic illnesses, like sometimes you can't leave the house, right? Um, so a lot of people experience that with kind of, injuries, illnesses, where mm-hmm. their social life again changes. And I've noticed that I use this kind of analogy um, with clients with feeling lonely seems to often be more of like a, a single, sorry, signal of like a shift in social uh, bonds going down versus I don't have anyone. Like, I don't know if you know, I recently learned, um, our skin doesn't actually feel temperature. It feels a change in temperature. And so mm-hmm. when we, you put your hand in a bowl of cold water mm-hmm. and the other hand in a bowl of hot water, and mm-hmm. then put them both in a bowl of warm water, mm-hmm. it'll feel cold to the hot hand and hot to the cold hand. Cause it's mm-hmm. just going to register the change that happened. Right. right. Not the actual temperature of the warm sure. water. And so I find that with loneliness, it seems to come up anytime anyone's social bonds have kind of declined. And then we kind of interpret it accidentally as like, oh my gosh, I'm so alone. I feel lonely rather than like, oh, this is my bonds have kind of gotten maybe weaker socially um, or I have less of them. They're less deep, but I, I still have people in my life who care about me. And so I'm all about kind of, again, like really listening to our emotions and kind of interpreting them. I call it like appraising them um, Mm. kind of more accurately than a lot of the time. I think we misappraise like guilt's a common one misappraises like I've done something wrong. I'm a bad person when guilt Mm. just means you deviated from some values and maybe you meant to do that actually um, or had to. So, yeah, I think with um, with the loneliness, there's a lot of a lot of ways we can connect with people but in the book i really underscore reciprocal relationships because the social media is kind of empty calories Mm. right we feel good we're full but we're not getting nourished from that yeah and so we want to have online forums talking to friends on the phone actually communicating and messaging with people if you're kind of stuck at home if you Mm -hmm. can going to groups or going out like doing stuff where it's like there's that reciprocation of like social energy um, mm-hmm. because I think it's like the scrolling on the the TikTok and the Instagram and Facebook. It's like 
you kind of feel connected to people, but they're not connected to you. And that's the piece that I think gets really missed. And it's like, why, and the question that so many people are asking, like, why in the age of connection are we all feeling so lonely? And to me, I think that's a big piece that's overlooked. So talk about that a lot in the loneliness section here. Is, is So is the problem just different? I love the way you framed it. So like people often interpret loneliness as these kind of diminishing social bonds, whereas it's not necessary people are actually maybe losing those people in their life. Yeah. Is that just, are those just two different problems then? Like being lonely and being alone? Being, uh, well, I, uh, so yeah, so absolutely being alone versus like these social these diminishing social bonds like is that just are those just two different problems then and and we need to kind of just frame it in our head that way as opposed to kind of clustering them in as like this is loneliness overall i think so i think again yeah it's like if those emotions are kind of coming up it's yeah taking the time to be curious about it and being like what is this actually telling me because mm-hmm. and i think yeah the loneliness often gets appraised as being actually alone and having mm-hmm. no one when that's usually not the case it's just like well my friend moved away or i haven't talked to them in yeah. a while or you know maybe i had a falling out with a friend but i still have a lot of other friends and so it's like that kind of those feelings where we want again all about balance of like yeah your bonds have decreased in some way, but wait a minute, you also still have some. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I wonder what you, we talk about like scrolling through TikToks and, and scrolling mm-hmm. through social media. I always wonder whether people leaving comments, like if that's their way of feeling like they can somehow socially connect or something, mm-hmm. like they're feeling kind of isolated and it's like, I got to yeah. drop my thoughts here. Like, I don't know. It's just, I get comments yeah. now on my, on my, on my podcast, which I'm like, dude, you haven't even watched the clip, but like some of these comments are just like, they're hilarious because they make no sense. And I, uh, but I'm like, I just feel like, I think you just feel like you need to say your piece or something. I don't know, but. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's very true. People will just like try and reach out and right. Draw you Mm. to reply to them Mm. to get that reciprocity. Even if it's like a negative way, it's like my dog wants attention. He might act like a brat, any attention will do positive yeah. negative <laughs> he yeah. just wants yeah. me to pay attention to him so yeah. you know sometimes people are like that where it's like they're again maybe not consciously aware but they're trying to get that mm. back and forth and so it's like oh well, i'm just gonna like bait them and like you know troll them or do whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. until they reply to me and i can get a good back and forth going yeah. these people are craving this should i feed into that craving because somebody is like i just got a comment yesterday is like what a podcast for losers i'm like do i respond to this like (laughs) i wouldn't i mean again it's like that's not right if my dog acts out to get attention he gets ignored he gets attention when he's behaving well Yeah. yeah so it's all about reinforcement so i talk to clients about that sometimes as far as like be aware of what behaviors you're reinforcing and if someone's like bullying you online then they should get crickets um they shouldn't get any any attention either way because again you're you're giving the mouse the morsel of food they've pressed the lever um yeah they're gonna just keep pressing it then if you keep giving them the food so yeah for sure yeah um i want to i do want to people are mean ah it's okay it's 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 sometimes i just 
um yeah it's just funny i'm just like i, I clearly know that you haven't like watched this clip because you're saying something <laughs> that i've addressed in it or something um yeah anyway um i want to I, I do want to ask some questions about your your first book the conversation guide yeah. but is there anything more from this book that you want people to kind of take away or be kind of curious about as they're as they're reading it um no i think we covered most of it yeah i think just the main thing again that's maybe not super apparent is like it's not just for people with chronic illness like anyone yeah. going through a big life change anyone who's around someone going through a big life change anyone who just wants to learn some emotional management techniques um or learn a bit more about themselves like i said yeah i think i wanted to to focus on people with chronic illness and that's who the book is kind of tailored to but it's mm -hmm. really not solely for them so just wanted to underscore that yeah no and that and you know what talking to you about this that's kind of my takeaway right is that it's not just about the person who's kind of going through this like it's it's everyone around those people yeah. and what they can do to properly support that person yeah no i love that um conversation guide uh folks can get this one um i've, I've gone through different sections of it um <laughs> bullying uh, you know, about adult bullying. I feel like I've kind of gone through that recently mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. Um, but it's like, it's one of those things where with adult bullying, it's hard to recognize, hey? Eh? Yeah. Like compared to like, it's not as, it's not as, uh, it's not as clear, like compared to when you got bullied as a kid, like it, it shows yeah. up in different ways, hey? Mm -hmm. Subtle. Yeah. It's not as obvious for sure. Yeah. And I think about times where, again, it's, you know, I think I use some of my, my old work, unfortunately, work experiences. I had two, two different workplaces with two pretty major bullies that at the time, though, I didn't. But if I knew what I know now, mm. boy, would I have handled those situations differently. Mm. Yeah. But I was just in my early 20s. It was my first couple jobs. I didn't yeah. know how to stand up for myself. And I kind of thought that was the culture and no one else seemed to to say anything until one of them actually, I think, got fired after I left because mm. someone did call them out and I think threatened legal action against them, which is pretty intense. Yeah. Bullying, getting bullied as adult, like getting bullied as a kid, I've been bullied as a kid, it feels shitty. Getting bullied as an adult is its whole another set of feelings. Mm -hmm. Like you, you truly feel like, how come at this age can I not stand up for myself? Like the the shame that sometimes you can add, you, yeah. can, you can give yourself for, for, um, for going through that situation is at another level. I know feeling that yeah. I know feeling like, how come I can't like, I have all these skills. I have all these qualities that I can kind of manage through this. Why am I not able to do this at this moment? This person is, mm -hmm. I'm totally feeling like bullied by this, but it's, 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 it's a different feeling for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that almost sense of like powerlessness, Yes, you know, yes. as children, we're a little more used to as adults, we, are way more uncomfortable with that yes. right because we're we should be um you yeah, know see i keep shitting myself and... i gotta stop shitting <laughs> yeah. myself <laughs> yeah so i think that's that's one that and i see it a lot in my in my trauma work with emdr we work with like the negative untrue beliefs that have kind of been picked up through life events and often in mm -hmm. things like bullying as children or adults yeah, that sense of like, I'm not in control, or I'm yeah. powerless, or I'm helpless. Um, and so that kind of umbrella of beliefs where we feel that way is one that really tends to get people to their core. Because I mm -hmm. think, again, it's such a like, if you think of us like animals, the moment we're not in control, our survival feels so threatened. 
And so we have reactions to those types of situations where we're feeling very powerless. And yeah, as adults, it can be not only that feeling, but then we're confused by it too. As you said, like, why aren't we able to figure this out? Like, I don't understand. And that can be, can be really tough for sure. That and also like, how is this happening now? Like we're all adults, but this is still happening. Like I can, you can kind of rectify after being bullied as a kid. Like, okay, I understand now like kids were, you know, they're still developing, things are happening. Like you can't really fully hold it to a kid if they're bullying you, to be honest, I think in some cases, but, um, but as an adult, it's like, how is this still, you know, it's just so such a confusing moment to be honest. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's it. Definitely. It's confusing and disappointing. It's, yes. you know, yeah. people and that's where though too, it's like, I'll go back to the balance, not to sound too annoying, but like, we want to balance like having compassion for those people because yeah. as you said it's like with kids when they're being bullies they've obviously learned that somewhere and have something going on like it's not just they're like a horrible person um for no reason so we try and have compassion for adults it's like great question why haven't they learned this by now mm-hmm. why are they mm-hmm. acting this way mm-hmm. like there must be some pretty big stuff happening that hasn't been worked on, whether mm. they're not able or willing to do so. And it is really sad that there are people who are very destructive, you know, socially and emotionally to other people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's usually reasons for that. But then also with adults, it's like balancing that compassion with like, you're an adult and you need to take responsibility. If you hurt other people, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And so I see this a lot. It's really hard to hold these ideas at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? Bit of a dialectic if you're into DBT of like, you know, they're doing the best they can, but they could also be doing better. It's like, and so I think that happens a lot of the time in people's like romantic relationships um, and all sorts of like people with addictions, huge of like, you know, I can have compassion that this person is more genetically predisposed to this, had trauma, but like, they can't lie, lie to me and steal from me. Like, that's not okay. You need to take responsibility for that. You got, you got dealt a horrible hand and I can, my heart can go out to you, but I'm not going to allow you to treat me poorly either. And so it's, it's all about, yeah, having both of those, which is hard for our brains to kind of wrap around. How do you deal with the situation then an adult bullying situation? If, you want to have compassion for that person. You might recognize that maybe there's some shit that they just haven't figured out and they're, it's kind of being reflected on you. How do you even start to have that conversation with that person so that it maybe pushes them to do that internal work? Um, well, so that's, and going back to the conversation, the goal of that conversation wouldn't be realistic because we can't make anyone do anything. If sure. you're going in, into a conversation with a goal of getting someone to do something, you got to check that. That's why that's step one in mm. the steps of, so what you could do instead is try and open up and let them know how your behaviors affected you, which again, very similar to interventions, right? Mm. Um, and that, and then the person makes the decision on their own to make yeah. changes or it depends. It's so situationally dependent, but I think too, maybe it's just setting boundaries, whether that's directly through conversation or letting your behavior do the talking for you, where it's like, I don't engage in this. Like I talk to clients all the time about 
relationships where they're called names, yelled, whatever. And so it's like, if you make the decision that if that happens, I politely and respectfully say, I'm not going to be spoken to like that. I'm going to end this call or I'm going to walk away now. And you just do that and you leave, right? Mm. It doesn't have to be aggressive. It can be peaceful, but it's like, you're showing them that that's not something you tolerate. And because whose behavior can you control? Your own, Mm -hmm. right? You can't, this person's going to keep bullying, going to do whatever. It's again, that balance of like, I can't control them, but maybe I can control my own reactions in a different way that will shift the dynamic of, of this relationship. Yeah. Great point. Um, when you, when you think about, uh, just like, are there any kind of signals out there or things that you're looking into these days that you're just like very curious about from a, from a counseling perspective, like anything, um, you know, you're focusing on the boundaries piece in your next book, but just like, are there, are there little things that you're, you're talking to your clients about or things that you're noticing society that just kind of made you more curious Mm -hmm. about from a counseling perspective? Um, these days, my interests, I think, still mostly lie in my three main kind of areas of expertise, I guess, or yeah. niches that like the chronic illness, I think is really interesting to work with anxiety. Um, I love working with like specific phobias. And then also I do a lot of like health anxiety, which ties mm. into chronic illness sometimes too, death anxiety. Um and then yeah trauma and trauma is just like a huge mm-hmm. breadth of things and how that kind of plays into all sorts of like other mental illnesses personality disorders depression you know if you come at it from kind of a trauma based lens which i do uh so yeah lately i'm getting a bit more going to do some um more work hopefully with some clinical hypnosis uh mm-hmm. and tying cool. that with emdr i think that yeah i'm getting more into like ego state work and like dissociation and parts work and things like that so um yeah kind of those are my my big areas of interest right now that i'm seeking professional development in and talking to colleagues about i think there's no shortage of things in the realm of psychology and and being a counselor um, to learn. So that's why I love, love it so much. Um, Yeah. It's such an amazing profession. Uh, One of the things that's on my mind these days is um, just the division that we have in that what it feels like in society's days on, on a number of different issues. And it seems like people are so easily frustrated with each other. And, you know, to the extent to like, sometimes, especially on like the political side where people will just say like, that is the enemy on the other side, right? Like it's, we we're so quick to judge and rush to conclusions yeah. on people. I want to frame this back to you though, as a counselor, are there things about people that get you frustrated? Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, and I think the funnily enough, one of the things I was talking to someone last week about this is like, I think it's really great right now. Everyone is like, you know, thinking about uh, mental health and lots mm-hmm. of great like channels and things, but there seems to be this like theme of really like over pathologizing and self-diagnosis. And I think there's like some really interesting like existential underpinnings to that personally, as far <laughs> okay. as like we're unable to accept the inevitable suffering that is the human experience and that we instead need to create some sort of reason for that 
rather than being a human is hard, horrible things happen. We're all living in this world together, trying to make it work with hugely different beliefs and perspectives and ways of thinking. And there's going to be parts of it that are just downright awful. Um, but yeah, I think it's that that lack of acceptance and suffering that mm-hmm. I see a lot. And that's why, again, I, I like working with anxiety and, and trying to work with some of these emotions that people really, really push against mm-hmm. and just bringing a whole new fresh perspective to them um, and using these as tools. And so, yeah, I think, you know, there's some really interesting stuff going on and it's really cool to see people and super interested in these things and not knocking yeah. people at all for that. I think it's, yeah, it's, you know, a huge kind of mental health revolution, but I think there's some, some pieces that maybe are being ignored uh, that I'd love to see some people maybe bringing to light a bit, a bit, you know, different perspectives on, on all of these things. And I think a more like again, existential acceptance uh, yeah. would would maybe benefit a lot of people out there. So that's one thing I've been maybe not frustrated about, just kind of like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. That so many people are kind of identifying and, and working, I don't know, with those channels. And yeah, I don't know. Other things that actually, because that's again, more of like, a, I think a really interesting thing that I've been again, talking to colleagues and stuff about, because I think it's, something that's really prevalent right now mm-hmm. um, people are just really really getting into mental health like yeah which again can be great but you know balance <laughs> how do you um, feel about like just yeah. the ease of access to online counseling is that do you feel like that's you know because you talked yeah. about with your book you're like let me let me provide as much as i can like i'm gonna create this yeah. youtube channel all this kind of stuff like that seems like a good service to people on the surface, yeah. it seems like online counseling and making that ease of access would be a good thing, especially, I mean, counseling is expensive, but yeah. what are your thoughts on that? I mean, again, it's so hard and I'm trying to be really careful with what I say and not offend people or kind of, you know, cause I think it's, it's a delicate topic. So I'll approach with caution here, but I think, you know, with counseling, it's hard. It's not a, it's not a profession that has that kind of previous knowledge that like, you know, people think they can be singers more than guitar players because we can all kind of sing a little bit, right? We talk, but mm-hmm. I don't know how to play a guitar or, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't think we can be a surgeon or mechanic, but sales or therapy, a lot of people kind of think, oh, I like helping people. I like talking to people. I can do that. And I think there's some things that are really like, unfortunately, cheapening the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and Unfortunately, too, I think there's, you know, a lot of people who get into it and get quite greedy. Um, And I see a lot of and hear a lot of really heartbreaking stories of people taking on way too many clients or not having room for people. And they're just kind of, you know, more about the paycheck. And it's just so I think there's, you know, as with anything, though, there's a lot of things kind of that could be fixed. (laughs) Um, And I think, yeah creating like it's so great to have resources again that are free for people or low cost Mm -hmm, but it's mm -hmm. like having the people who are professionally trained and answer to an ethical board being the ones giving still gotta be quality right still gotta be quality yeah Yeah. and i think it's it's you know getting very watered down and that to me can cause some frustration sometimes where you know i see in some of the like 
and I'm not knocking this at all because I fully support like people who want to do psychedelic psychotherapy and mm. things but we see like there's a lot of that in BC and there's a lot mm. of great places to go and there's a lot of places that are really unsafe and right. there's people like charlatans acting like they know things and they're not taking care of people and people are getting injured or dying mm. um and it's it's really sad that you know and so I think we need to t- tighten things up maybe a little bit um especially with laws in that area which I won't get into but yeah I think as far as just like the online therapy stuff like it's up to the consumer too the responsibilities on the consumer sure. like we all have freedom of speech we can put whatever we want out there but it's it does put a lot of responsibility on the person consuming the material to be like is this true is this and that's how you see people falling into some of these really outrageous ideas that are very harmful to like women or society and anyway i won't get into that but it's yeah so it's the internet's the internet it's kind of the wild west i don't know you know take everything with a grain of salt but i think it's yeah it's it's an interesting time for sure it's a great time to be a therapist it's also a really yeah again there's a lot of like i don't know other parts to it as well yeah and i have no personal uh, judgment because i've never tried online therapy the only thing close to it was a long time ago i accessed like our employee family assistance program or whatever mm-hmm. and i i thought it was okay but it's just um, you know, they allow you to access them via email and like different yeah. ways. And now that I've actually have worked with a counselor and gone through serious work on one-on-one sessions, it is night and day, yeah. like the differences, like the, this, yeah. the ability to build a relationship with that counselor and they really dive deep and understand who you are and the advice and, or things that they get you thinking about are very tailored. And there's so many nuances yeah. to, to things, um, I just don't know how you, I mean, maybe you could replicate that in an on like an online session, but if you're saying, and maybe if there's truth to this, but like if they're overloading themselves with a whole bunch of patients and kind of shortcutting the process, like it really doesn't give you much. I don't know, but. Yeah. Yeah. And I've unfortunately not heard great things from, um, EAP or like better help yeah. or I don't yeah, know yeah. if I should be naming that maybe bleep those out <laughs> don't want to point fingers because no it's okay. but then I also think well of course I don't hear great things because the people who have tried it and it's not worked then come to me whereas the sure. people who have tried it and it's worked don't end up coming to me yeah so yeah. it's hard for me to really yeah. have an unbiased opinion of totally. of those because I don't get to talk to the people who yeah. it's worked really well for so yeah. yeah I try not to hold too much opinion for those um yeah I mean I think it's again any resource that people can access is going to be different it's just like every counselor is different for everybody yeah, like absolutely. there's some things are going to be a really great fit and other things are just not like yeah. even the online versus um in-person sessions like I only offer online and that's definitely not for everybody yeah for sure um on a yeah. lighter note just to kind of start to wrap up here but um have you seen the trailer for the new inside out movie do you no, know that movie? no, I know that movie a little bit. Um, I haven't watched the first one, but I've seen clips of it and I think it seems really great. Yeah, it's such a great. Well, I mean, my daughter's young, so we kind of went on to, into these Disney movies, but uh, it's just a, such a good movie because they really talks about like the emotions of a uh, they focus on the emotional elements of a yeah. kid. But like then the newest one is like the the 
um, the child in the movie is now a teenager. And so the newest emotion, emotion getting added to the equation is anxiety. And so it's, Ooh, it's hilarious. I think you gotta, you definitely gotta watch it. Oh, I will uh, definitely check that out. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. They make these movies so good now for adults. Like they're just, yeah. you don't even have to have a kid to watch these. Like they're really good. Yeah. Um, Joel, I, I really appreciate this conversation. Honestly, like I was, I was, feel like if it's a good episode, like the time just flies by and I don't really look at the time and that's kind of how this went for me today. So um, I appreciate you being a bit of a counselor for me too today. That was, oh, sure. that, was uh, that was kind <laughs> of you, um, but fantastic, uh, fantastic work. And it sounds like this, this new book is going to be a great service to people. So kudos to you and um, you're welcome back anytime, of course, uh, to talk about Thank the next you. one or um, to talk about anything. I was, I really do appreciate you and um for you to give me time today uh, to speak with you on this topic is, is fantastic. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was, yeah, an absolute pleasure as always. And I hope that, you know, this conversation can help some people and maybe the book can help some people too. So, and if anyone I, has any questions about anything, please email me and I'm happy to answer any questions about the workbook or my other book or this conversation. So yeah, don't be shy about reaching out. Cool. Thanks so much again, Joel. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next episode. Bye.